Before we get into 2 Corinthians 11, I would like to thank all of those who filled in for me, for my Sunday school classes, and uh, Brian for preaching. And uh, I thought about Brian. I uh, My stepbrother has uh, season tickets to the Buckeyes with great anticipation. I was anticipating that they were on a bye. <laughs> I was all set to go, and he called me up and said, they're not playing this week. I said, can we go up and see it anyway? <laughs> so I was in uh, the Carolinas in Virginia in September, and they lost to Virginia Tech, and I was discouraged. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go see a Buckeye game while I'm back. And God said, really? <laughs> so anyway, he told me, he said, well, come back anytime. We'll go to another one. Yeah, okay. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid of that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Your minds have been led astray by the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray for each of us. We would not be ashamed of your gospel. We would not be ashamed of the things that you have done. And that, Father, we would not fall into the deception of Eve, and the deception that your bride has fallen into on a regular basis. Father, let each of us evaluate our loyalty to you. And Father, correct us where we are lacking. Help us, Father, to see with the eyes of Christ, to walk in the majesty and the power of your Spirit by your grace, and be overwhelmed with the privilege, to your glory and praise. Amen. I'm looking at a servant's loyalty, a servant's devotion. Uh, we've been going through this in verses 2 through 3, dealing with our loyalty to God. Our loyalty to God is a jealousy to God. And, and you know, and I, I, I listen to people at times and they talk about righteous indignation. I can get mad about something. Okay, righteous indignation means that when I look at something, I know how it's affecting God or God's name. That's righteous indignation. Most of the time, what we get mad at is because somebody has hurt my feelings. 
That is not righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is, did this shame God? That's the jealousy of God, the loyalty to God. But then I look at the loyalty to Christ, the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. And we are betrothed to Christ. You who are saved this day are betrothed to Christ. You are engaged to Christ. The task at hand is to get from the engagement to the wedding feast. Go look at the virgins and who has oil in their lamps and who doesn't. And I have heard everything taught about that text and nobody ever gets it right, it seems, because there are a whole bunch of people who believe they are betrothed to Christ and they are wedding the engagement and they're not ready. And when the wedding feast happens, they're not there. If they're not there, what does that mean? They're not saved. Do you understand that? There are many who will call him Lord, Lord. All right. Do you understand that? There are many who seek the narrow gate, but don't find it. And people get cranky when you say, well, do you understand what that means? Not everybody professing Christ are possessing Christ. And I would even argue that those who possess Christ are evident because it is so radical in this day and age that you can't miss it. So there is a loyalty to Christ. The Christian life is all that you are to love Christ. And yet I watch the body of Christ across this nation and how easily it is tossed to and fro. They don't know what it says. There's an uh, um, advertisement on radio or television right now that says the great power that is in you is greater than the power that will come against you. Do you know what that is? Blasphemy. Because the text says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Okay, you know what that means, right? It ain't about you. It is about him. And yet, this man has a tremendous following of heresy. You move on from your love of Christ and you understand in this text, verse 4, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted disloyal to Christ because of a disloyal to his spirit. You have become disloyal to his teaching. And I hate to break the news to you, that's a serious problem. 
That is the danger of the false. You shift off of Christ. You shift to what? Rituals. You shift to philosophies. You shift to works. You shift to ceremony. You shift to experiences. You shift to psychology. You can even shift to, you're not going to believe it, to entertainment. When you move off of the person of Christ. The Apostle Paul gives the Christ life in a simple statement in Philippians 1.21. They write books about the Christ life. And yet, Paul says it in one verse. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I don't know how you write a book out of that. Seems real straight food to me. But I can look at the history of the church. I can back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be anathema. Did you hear that? Seems judgmental, doesn't it? That's not loving. If you do not love the Lord, you are to be accursed. What? Wait a minute. Well, that's just what it says. That's the history of the church. It's been warned. And yet, there's times you see the church wavering. How much disloyalty is there in the body of Christ? I'll ask you a question. It's easy for you and I to sit in here today and say, well, you know what? This is Bible preaching. We love the Lord. We're doing this. And we look around at some of the churches in our community and we say, well, they don't have no loyalty to Christ. And I can point out this and I can point out that. I'm going to ask you a question. What is your loyalty to Christ? What is your loyalty to Christ? What is your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what it's all about. See, when you waver in that, the false will run wild through the church. Look at the church. Why? And we all say, well, this pastor does this, or this pastor does that, or this pastor. You know what? The people allow it. Look what it says at the end of verse 4. You bear this beautifully. Why? Disloyalty to the gospel. Disloyalty to a false spirit. Disloyalty to Christ. And you bear this beautifully. The false will run wild through a church that dishonors Christ. Which brings me to loyalty to the gospel. Why was the Apostle Paul concerned about the Corinthians? Straightforward. For if one comes. Okay. Paul had seen the disloyalty to Christ. If you have disloyalty to the person of Jesus Christ, then you have a disloyalty to the gospel. Okay? If one comes. Listen, that's an amazing statement the way it's been translated, but it's not hypothetical. If you read it, if one comes, then it's 
maybe this will happen. That was already happened there. You could translate this, since one has come. Probably even more than one. Why? Well, it was kind of evidence. The false had come. And you know what I find out fascinating? I pay attention to the Greek language. Because what I find is, the Paul never said he came. He always said he was sent. The false come. You ever think about that? I know, Terry, you've been driving too much. <laughs> okay? Since one comes, there's a contrast that is going on. These had come on their own. Who sent them? They'd come on their own. The Corinthians had given them the pulpit. The Corinthians had accepted the preachers. The Corinthians had come with their lies. And they were accepting their lies. They heard it and they had received it. Why? They had come. And yet you read it and they say they had preached another Jesus. That's the implication. If they come and preach another Jesus. They talk of Jesus. They affirm Jesus. They preach another Jesus. It is not the same message as the Apostle Paul. Listen, if you go talk to a Jehovah's Witness, or you go talk to a Mormon right now, okay, and you tell them, how must you be saved? you know what they're going to tell you? You must be saved by faith through grace. Oh, wait a minute. Ain't that what we believe? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? But ask him this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know what you'll find out? That he is God's spiritual son. He was a Created being just like you and me. Hmm. That don't fit. Before the foundations of the earth, he was. That's why when Jesus said, I am. And they copped an attitude at him. I am. He is not the created spirit child of God. That is another Jesus. I got another one for you. Roman Catholicism. Who is Jesus? He is God's only son. Okay. We would agree with that, right? But you maintain your salvations by keeping the sacraments. Oh, wait a minute. If he's God's only son, what do you do with Teltelesta? It is finished. That is another Jesus. So the false are subtle. You will hear terminology that sounds just like yours. But ask him what that means and you will find it. 
That is another Jesus. Jesus that Paul preached, Jesus that I preach, is the great I am. He's not a created being. He is the creator of beings. But the false are subtle. We call it Christology. The study of Christ. Who is Christ? And what you will find is that every religion out of true Christianity has corrupted who is Christ. You know what is amazing? I was reading the Koran. I know. Why? Okay. You know what is amazing about the Koran? They talk about Jesus healing the dead. Raising the dead. The Koran talks about it. But they conclude he is a prophet. I find that fascinating. 600 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Islam that you know today believes that Jesus Christ could raise the dead. But he was a prophet. Hmm. The Apostle Paul doesn't really give us an outline of the error. You can see the error that was being taught by what he defends. Okay? And I, I am glad that he doesn't get into the error because getting into the nuances of the error doesn't help. I've watched people who want to fight Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Islam and they get into these books that were written by these people and they end up confused. I was talking to a guy one time who was a member of the Secret Service. He wasn't a bodyguard. He, he was part of the counterfeit patrol. Okay, and their responsibility was to know the United States currency so well that they could spot a fake just like that. That is my challenge to you. Do you know the real Jesus so well that you can spot a fake just like that? Because there's only two religions on the planet Earth. There's only two. I don't care what name you give it, but there's only two. It is the grace, mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can get there. Works. But I do notice that they came. That means they were from the outside. They were like their father, who came from the outside of the Garden of Eden. They came from the outside of God's paradise. They weren't sent. In this case, it's most likely they were Jews, and they would try to bring the Corinthians under um, Judaism or some form of Judaism. They would say they were from where? The Jerusalem church. Judaizers. And they would want to bring people unto Jewish ceremonies, rituals. I see it today. These were a little different because they weren't pushing circumcision. If you go look at Balaam, Balaam was tasked 
to draw Israel away from the true and living God. And he says, I can't do that. But I can lead them into immorality. Probably what was going on here. Why? Let me lead you into immorality. Let me show you rhetoric. Let me show you oratory. Let me show you a style of legalism with sensuous liberty. The charm of Greek philosophy. I see that today. I see the culture is the greater influence. Is that not true of today's church? These men claim to be apostles. They claim to represent Jerusalem. And they said that the Apostle Paul was a fraud. They identified with the name of Jesus. Yes, I affirm Jesus. But listen, it was a different Jesus. Because see, Paul doesn't know as much as I do. I know more. And the Apostle Paul doesn't waste our time trying to explain to us what it was. Why? We have an adversary. Satan. How many churches have been built on one thing that somebody will pigeonhole themselves? Listen to our denomination. What is it based on? Baptism. Listen, I'm not anti-Baptist. But ask a Christian, must you be baptized to be saved? No, it is an act of obedience. The thief on the cross was going to be with Jesus in paradise. Who baptized him? Do you see what I mean? Well, was he or wasn't he saved? Well, if Jesus says you're going to be with me in paradise, I'm thinking it's not questionable. Okay, does anybody, can anybody tell me who baptized the apostle Paul? Just a question. Now I'm thinking, was he effective for the body of Christ? See what I'm trying to get at? Now listen, I, I rejoice in baptism. Why? He says, be baptized. You know, and people ask me, well, you know, do you have to be baptized? No. But wait till he starts messing with other things you need to submit about. Baptism is easy. It just goes downhill from there. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I watch people who will take, and I will make a denomination based on one thing that I think is awesome. Well, excellent. What do you do with the verse? I want to start a church that he whipped him with the jawbone of an ass. I haven't figured out what the church will be called. But it'll be a cool church. Unless you're a donkey. Many talk about Jesus. Many say they love Jesus. Many will say that Jesus is their Savior. And yet you will watch them and you can see that it is not true. The other thing that he mentions here, and I find it fascinating. You receive a different spirit which you have not received. 
I want to show you this is kind of piling on itself. Okay, what spirit does a believer receive when they are saved? The Holy Spirit. Okay. What spirit does a false believer receive? Hadn't thought about that, had you? They will have a defective understanding of the person of Christ, of Jesus, and they will receive a a spirit that isn't holy. Well, that's that's politically correct, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, a non-holy spirit. You know what I call that? This is politically incorrect. It is damnation of another Jesus. That's serious. That's serious. Because they're not receiving the Holy Spirit who is already present. Okay, what spirit is this? Where does false teaching come from? If I'm preaching another Jesus, where does that information come from? Anybody want to guess? I can tell you what Paul calls it. The doctrine of demons. Okay? If you're not preaching the true Jesus, then what are you preaching? Doctrine of demons. Now run around and tell people that. And I'll see you next Sunday. You had the black eye. You think I'm kidding. Chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse 1. The Spirit. Okay, that would be the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Spirit explicitly says. Okay, do you understand what he's saying right there? This is not open for negotiations. It's not open for compromise. It's not open for, well, what if? Okay, explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits. You know what deceitful spirits are, right? Those are the ones who deceived Eve. I taught on that the last time I was here. They deceive people. Seducing spirits. Deceitful spirits. What is called the doctrine of... Demons. Okay, the teachings of demons. The understanding of demons. If you pick up a false material, if you pick up cultic literature, which has a defective Christ, new revelation, new understanding, Gnosticism, You know what you'll find? That it is beyond human authorship. Okay? It is beyond the human capability. Man could not write this. No single man, no committee of men. So, if that's true, then where does it come from? The seduction... Of demons, 
and deceitful spirits. False doctrines come from where demonic spirits. Okay, demonic spirits. That's a, it's, it's sort of like Paul's politically correct way of saying fallen angels. Do you understand fallen angels? Do you understand that they are from creation? The beginning of creation? Do you understand that I love you guys, but they are way smarter than you guys? And they are better at it than you guys? You ever understood that? They've been around a while. They've been over the hill, under the hill, around the hill. That's why it is so seductive. Remember, they will say things like, if you eat of this, you will know as God knows. Oh, did I tell you that it's good to look at? It's pleasurable. That's where it comes from. Let me tell you something. It is seductive and it is powerful. And every one of you need to understand this. It can be convincing. Because the question that started this whole mess was, has God said? Ever thought about that? Well, yeah, I think. Wasn't that in the book of Hesitations? Can be convincing. The false come and they will come with a different Christ. They will speak of Christ. They will speak of admiring Christ. But their Christ is different. Under the power of a seducing spirit, under the power of the spirits of fallen angels. Okay? It will result in a another gospel. Which you have not accepted because we preach one Jesus. They preach another. You receive one spirit, he who is holy, and they come in the power of another spirit. Do you understand? I'm not talking about yokels who run around and saying that I have an upside down pentagram and I'm killing goats and putting it in a soup and see I'm Satan worshipers. Those ain't going to follow you. Oh, okay, that's kind of stupid. I've eaten goat. Why in the world would you do that? Okay? I ain't going to fly for that. Okay? They're going to come into the church and they're going to claim I came because I smarter than you. And I want to enlighten you. I want to guide you. I want to steer you. And I want to give you understanding that you don't have right now. You have accepted one gospel that has saved you and they preach a different gospel, the Apostle Paul is saying. Salvation is not just faith by grace alone. Why? I have some things that you need to do and once you do those things, then you will get to another level of spirituality. Have you ever run into people that are that way? Do you understand what's driving them? Do you understand the power that is behind them? Do you ever watch them? 
I mean, Happy Jack down in Houston. Okay. He makes everybody want what he's got. Look what I got. And I can tell you how to do it. How much money you got? Well, go, go give your money to Dr. Phil. It has the same outcome. Same outcome. There are two systems that work in our society, in our world right now. One is you cooperate with God and you will earn your way to heaven. That don't sound that bad, does it? He told me not to do this. I'm not going to do that. I still want to do that, but I'm not going to do that because he doesn't want me to do that. Or you can say, I have been saved by grace through faith, not of my own. Listen, you don't think this isn't urgent? We're reading the Corinthian letters. I can take you over just a couple of pages to the letter to the Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 6. He makes a statement. I am amazed. You ever thought about that? I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who has called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. How easy is it? Churches defect. Look at the Galatians. Paul says, I can't believe it. I can't believe you just walked away that easy. You look at Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. The churches of Asia Minor, many were founded by who? Paul. Okay, five out of seven defected, were disloyal to the Lord. To the Galatians, I am amazed. I am amazed. Why? That you have been seduced away to a different gospel. Which, listen, if you're really honest with yourself, it really isn't another gospel. There really isn't another good news. He says, who called you by his grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. How easy is it to be seduced away? The Galatians were seduced. Five of the seven churches in Asia Minor were seduced. The Corinthians were seduced. You see that even the church in Ephesus was seduced. It is very easy to be seduced. When he talked to the Ephesian elders, he said that ravenous wolves will come from even among you, the elders. Verse 8 of that text. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be anathema. He is to be accursed. Even if an angel from heaven. goes back to the spirit thing. You have false spirits who are coming around with a different gospel, a different Christ. And they want you to follow them, but they'll tell you they love Jesus. These come and they preach. 
They will preach another Jesus, and they will do it in the power of a different spirit. Why? Because that is the pattern they develop. I want to show you this now. Back to our text in 2 Corinthians. Look what it says in verse 4. When they come, or one has come, they preach another Jesus. Can you understand that? What I see in the body of Christ right now that is the, the, the greatest difference in Jesus is that the Jesus that is preached in the church right now is inept. Okay? He wants all of this done and he hopes you can get it done. Okay? If you do this and this and this, Jesus is going to bless you. If you do this and this and this, you're going to be more spiritual and be more useful. That's a different Jesus. Okay, if I do that and I follow that, what spirit are you following? Now listen, you got to be, I want you to be honest with yourself. What spirit are you following? It's called demonic. I am following the spirit of a demon if I follow a different Jesus. Now, nobody gets up in the morning and says, well, I think I want to follow some demons today. Well, maybe you do. If you do, don't tell me. Okay? But do you see what I mean? Nobody's going to get up and do that. But when you step into it, you're following the seduction of an evil spirit, a demonic spirit, the spirit of a fallen angel. And what will happen to your gospel? I can tell you what happens about it. It will become man-centered. Self-centered. I can stand up before humanity, put it on television and say... The power that is in you is greater than in the power in the world. That's a wrong gospel. That's a wrong Jesus. And the spirit that is behind it that gets that great following is demonic. Now I'm making friends. Here's the tragedy. Look at the end of verse 4, chapter 11. You have a different gospel which you have not accepted, and you bear this beautifully. You know what that means? You take it. You take it. I hear people tell me, well, you seem too confrontive. If you say something wrong, I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm not saying it because I so small and you not. I'm saying it because that is a seducing spirit that's making you say that. And you don't need to hear that. And I'm not going to run around and say, well, I think you're just following a demon. Don't worry about it. Right? I have a, in, in my position, I tend to deal with leadership. I understand that teachers will be judged harsher because ours is a greater responsibility. When a teacher says something like that, 
that is not biblical, of a different Christ, of a different gospel, of a different spirit, I will say something. And they all get cranky with me and all snarl up their nose and you're just being a Baptist and you're just being mean-spirited and all the rest of it. But you know what? It's my responsibility. I have to give an account. Somebody who's in a position of leadership says something that is an error, you need to say, I think that's wrong. That's why you will hear me occasionally say, well, where is that in the Bible? Okay, and and I could go on and on and on and on with illustrations that I've had to deal with. But you know what? If they come and they preach another Jesus in the power of a different spirit, it is my responsibility not to just take it. The Apostle Paul had gone back to the Corinthians at a, a surprise. And they accused him, these false did, and no one in the church defended him. That's insane. But I hear it today. Can't we just be one? Can't we be unified? If we're unified, then they'll see how loving we are. Well, how can I, with the possession of the Holy Spirit, be identified with someone who possesses a fallen demon spirit? How does that work? They should, the Corinthians, should have thrown them out and run them out of town. And yet they bear with this. They take it in and it's not a problem. They were accepting. Those with false Christ, by the power of seducing spirits, in a defective gospel. And they endured it. We know why Paul was afraid. Why? Their loyalty to God didn't seem quite right, did it? Their loyalty to Christ just didn't really fit, did it? Their loyalty to the gospel Ah, wasn't there. None of those three right there were in effect. Let me tell you something. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ, loyalty to the gospel, that is the essence and the life of the church. Listen, my passion right now is to get every one of you from the engagement party to the wedding. Okay? That's what motivates me. Present every man complete in Christ. That would include women too. That's my, that's my passion. That's what drives me. That's what drove the Apostle Paul And yet, I will tell you, it's a difficult task. Why? I am against false Christs. 
seducing spirits, and false gospels that sound really good. Next week, I will show you in verses 5 and 6 the loyalty to the truth. I pray for every one of you that you will understand what a servant's loyalty is. You've got to understand this. It isn't a matter of what you're doing, it is a matter do you have loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ, and loyalty to the gospel? Because out of that, I'll see it. We, we talked about it in our Sunday school. You know, what about thanks, you know, somebody giving gratitude to you? You know, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it. I'd rather see it. I hear people say, well, you're a Southern Baptist church and you don't have an altar call. If the text lends itself to it, I'll have an altar call. I just haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Well, don't you preach for change? There ain't a message I ever served up that wasn't for change. Whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's in a Sunday school, whatever it is. We should be overwhelmed with the privilege of being a Christian. But we also have to be overwhelmed that this book right here, in the beginning was the Word The Word was with God. The Word was God. Okay? Also understanding if that is true, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword knowing the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Please, my brothers and sisters, don't be seduced because it is powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, I thank you for the Corinthians. Father, uh, they went through a war that uh, many of us have been in and we never even knew it. And Lord, I I just pray that uh, as John wrote to the churches in Revelations, be overcomers. That we would be overcomers. We would fight the good fight. We would run the race that is set before us. And Father, we would be overwhelmed with the privilege of your truth. We would be overwhelmed with the privilege of your gospel. We would be overwhelmed with being children of the Most High God. And that, Father, we would have a great anticipation of the wedding feast of the Lamb. To you, my Savior, my Lord, my King. Amen.